Well, last week, uh, as Pastor Brandon said, uh, Pastor Todd launched a new series called Miracle Moments. And in his first message, it was about positioning yourself for a miracle. And he really focused and honed in on the miracle of turning water into wine. And so today, we're going to look at another miracle that happened in Mark 4. But before I do that, I want to say, how many of you have ever experienced or witnessed a miracle? Let me see your hands. Some will say, when my teenager cleans their room, it's a miracle. (laughs) The other day, when I went to Walmart, a spot opened on the front row. That was a miracle. Some of you ladies have said this, when your husband takes out the trash, it's a miracle. But ladies, don't say that. I have another response for you when he takes out the trash. Treat him like a puppy. He takes off the trash, he comes back in, pat him on his, good boy, good boy. Rub his belly, give him a puppy treat, and then send him to his room so he can watch LSU beat Alabama. Come on, somebody. Okay, let's settle down, folks. Football has not started officially just yet, but you guys, maybe it was me. But I want to give you a definition of miracle, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs, and I'll repeat that, an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. And in Mark 4, we see where the disciples needed divine intervention, and we pick up in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. That was Jesus speaking. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat. Everybody say waves. Broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern back of the boat. He was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, let me stop right there. What was their occupation? Fishermen. So you'd think they'd be okay with a storm. It'd be like if we went down to Delcom and got 12 shrimpers and took them out in a storm, but apparently this storm was really bad. Bad enough that they were trying to wake up Jesus. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Some versions say, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Have you ever sailed through calm seas and thought everything was good and then all of a sudden a storm out of nowhere pops up and the winds and the waves just take over? Have you ever been there? Suddenly your boat is not stable anymore. The the deck is bobbing up and down. Maybe, maybe, maybe at this point all your security is gone. And you need a miracle. You need Jesus to say, peace, be still. Is the situation you're in right now like that? Maybe your marriage is crashing and burning. Maybe your finances are in deep trouble. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost someone very close to you. Maybe there's a health issue that has surfaced. If we're honest, when a storm hits us, what's our first reaction? Fear, panic, right? And what that leads to is we become very weak and vulnerable. And such was the case for the disciples. And such was the case for me. Back in March, you may remember, I encountered my first storm. 
It was the weekend of the ladies' XL conference. It was a Friday night and then a half a day Saturday. It culminated with a crawfish boil that day on that Saturday. The event went great. I went home, and at midnight, I was spouting at both ends, if you know what I mean. Wave. It lasted one week. Wave. I was dehydrated. I was hurting. I wasn't doing well at all. And I turned to Michelle and I said, you've got to get me to the ER. I'm feeling bad. So we rushed to the ER at Lafayette General and they immediately uh, put me in an emergency room, put me on a gurney and they started hooking me up to everything. And they didn't really know what was going on at that point. And so they said, we've got to do a CT scan. And I said, great. So they wheel me to a CT scan. They, they do that. They bring me back to my room and I'm on drugs by now and, and a lot's going on and, and I'm kind of half out of it. And then I hear the doctor say, we need to get him to ICU stat. Wave. They drain five liters of fluids out of me. Unbeknownst to me, my kidneys had shut completely down. After about an hour, I, I, I wake up and I'm actually in a regular room because it turns out they had no room in the ICU. And after enduring a day or two of being visited by a bunch of ologists, a cardiologist, a urologist, a nephrologist, a geologist, a meteorologist, <sighs> On day three, the nephrologist, who's a kidney doctor, explained to me that, and doctors like to use uh, numbers, scales. He said, on a one to ten, ten being the worst, you were at a ten of your kidneys. He says, we're all one. But he says, something happened in the last couple of days. He says, you're now at a two. Miracle. Another day or two goes by. I'm at a one. I'm doing great. I said, Doc, I'm ready to go home. He says, you can't go home. He says, you have AFib. I said, yeah, I've known that for a while. He says, you can't leave the hospital until your heart rate gets below 100. And so they were monitoring me. I'm ready to go. How many of you know your, your bed and your pillow? <laughs> Lord, I want to go home. A couple more days go by and my heart rate is below 100 and they discharge me to go home after about six days. Of course, I've got to follow up with that with all my ologists. And one of my doctors said, Rob, we need to do another CT scan and find out why you had all that fluid in you. I said, okay, doc. So it, it took a while for that to take place, and they scheduled a CT scan at Burden Real. And so I go do that on Thursday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Doesn't take very long. I'm home and in bed just chilling. I'm still kind of recovering from the hospital visit. And after a while, not long after I got home, I get a call from my doctor's nurse saying, you need to get to the ER right now. Say, what? I thought she was calling because of the uh, surgery that I needed near my bladder. I thought that's why she was calling, maybe to confirm the date that it was going to be. She says, no, no, no. You have acute appendicitis. You need to get to the hospital stat. Wave. So Michelle and I go to the hospital, the ER. By now, we're on first name basis with everybody there. We're about ready to start a life group there. Rob's back. So I'm ushered in, and, and, and the surgeon, they're kind of gearing up to do an emergency appendectomy on me, but the surgeon says, are you having any pain? I said, no, I'm fine. He says, well, let me consult and, and, and just see. And so after a few minutes, he comes back, and he says, you know, he says, 
I just don't like doing surgery that's unnecessary. I'm in agreement with that, Doc. So he discharges me and we go home. So uh, the surgery I had near my bladder was scheduled. It was the day after Mother's Day. It was a one-day stay, one-night stay. They did it laparoscopically and everything was fine. I'm on the road to recovery. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't like hospitals. By the way, if you want to lose weight, you got it. So I'm on my road to recovery from this surgery near my bladder. And after three weeks, almost to the day, I'm bent over and I'm in severe pain. I'm like, baby, we got to go see our friends again. And so we get there. They put me on a gurney. We got to do another CT scan. I think I broke the record for CT scans. Sure enough, it came back that my appendix was gone. So after a little while, they determined uh, we, we need to do it right now. And I said, well, doc, just keep in mind that I had surgery three weeks prior. Oh, we can't do this appendectomy right now. Wave. You don't understand, doc, I'm in pain. Oh, we'll send you home with some meds. He says, I think it's just too early to do it from the previous surgery. And he explained about the lining of the stomach and all of that, of where they went in laparoscopically. And I'm like, doc. He says, I'll tell you what. He said, let me go think about it. It's on his way out. Michelle says, can I pray for you? He goes out the room. And 20 minutes later, he busts through the door. You know that curtain on those uh, that sliding track system? He goes, we're doing it. He said it just like that. You know, like a coach giving a halftime energetic speech to his players. He's like, we're doing it. I'm like, put me in, coach. <laughs> they do the surgery. I'm in my room. I come to, and doctor came, uh, the two surgeons came in to explain what they did. I'm like, okay. See, there was a change of plans. They could not go in laparoscopically to do the appendix surgery because it was so messed up and it, just because of the previous, they had to go in the old-fashioned way and cut me right here in the middle. And while they were in there, they did another procedure. See, my colon was a little abnormal in a small section, so the doc says, while we were there, we took that out, and, uh, you know, we were able to get to your appendix because it was so messed up, we had a clear shot at it. Thanks, doc, for doing that for me. We sewed your colon back up. I'm on the road to recovery, in the hospital for two or three days, eating that wonderful hospital food. That was on a Sunday. Wednesday, they come in and say, it looks like you're going to be discharged tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus. Thursday morning, the surgeon walks in, and I'm ready to get the thumbs up to go home. I didn't get that. She said, we need to sit down. Okay, this is not good. She says, you know that section of colon that we took out? There was a cancerous tumor. You have colon cancer. Wave! Wave! My boat was sinking. And then she says, we didn't get enough lymph nodes. We have to go back in and do another surgery. She leaves the room. Michelle and I sit on this for the day. The next morning, the surgeon comes back in. The same one who came through the door. He comes in my room and there's a curtain. Guess what? We don't have to do the surgery. He said, unbeknownst to us, that amount that we removed, we didn't know it was cancer. The amount that we removed, the pathologist said we needed 12 lymph nodes. We got 13. We don't have to do anything. Miracle. Yeah. 
And he says, you know what? He says, I think you need to do some precautionary chemotherapy. We'll schedule a, 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 an appointment with a, a cancer doctor and all of that through Lafayette General. I said, okay. So she comes in the next day and tells us the same thing, that uh, they got all the cancer out. I'm cancer-free. And um, we need to do some follow-up and, and, and all of that. I said, okay. But she said, before she left, she goes, I just want to do another test, but I'll see you in a few weeks. A week and a half goes by, and Michelle and I get a letter in the mail saying, you have an appointment on Thursday to go meet her. And I'm like, she said it was going to be like six, seven, eight weeks down the road. I'm like, okay, I'll do whatever. So that appointment was on a Thursday. Wednesday night, the night before, Michelle had a great idea. She says, you know, there's a Bethany conference right now. And we always go to it. We always attend it. Obviously, we couldn't. She goes, we can live stream and, and, and look at the uh, conference and hear what's going on. So we tune in and it just so happened it was the last song of worship. And the pastor of the church gets up before he introduces the guest speaker and tells uh, the audience that he says, you know, I just feel in my spirit, I need to pray for some people. He says, uh, I just believe, and he, he listed like, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 different diseases and infirmities and illnesses. He closes that up by saying, I feel like there's somebody in here or listening is not going to have to have chemo. Well, my ears pop up. Next day, we go visit the cancer doctor. After some preliminary work and blood work, she pops through the door, very, guess what? You don't have to do chemo. Amen. Miracle. She says, you know, she says, uh, this has only happened to me once before. You're number two. She goes, I just can't explain it. Michelle and I said, we can. We're believers. Amen. I'm telling you all of that to say that I know what it's like to be in a storm with the waves crashing you almost every day. I know what it's like to be hit from both sides. I know what it's like to be overwhelmed and gloomy and depressed and, and, and anxious and fearful and, you know, a host of things is running through my mind. The pendulum was swinging back and forth almost every day. But wait a minute, Rob, you're a pastor. You're supposed to have it all together. Pfft. Turn to your neighbor and say, Pfft. Now turn back to him and say, I'm sorry for the spit. <laughs> Listen, sometimes I put my underwear on inside out just like you do. I mix my cereals just like you do. I know what it's like to have wave after wave come in. And it's in the wave that you feel like pain is your address, fear is your address, and you're ready just to simply throw in the towel. So I know what you're going through. But I also know that God does not want us to stay in the storm. Amen. He wants to quiet the winds and help us. And I want to just share a couple small side notes about the storm that the disciples found themselves in. It did not, the storm did not catch Jesus by surprise. In fact, he told them to head to the storm. And there was a purpose of that storm. It was Jesus' plan the entire time. It was in the storm when the disciples said, Teacher, we're about to drown. Aren't you going to do anything? Is it possible that maybe we feel the same way sometimes when we're going through storms? But I want you to know, Jesus never wastes anything. In fact, I want you to understand that the miracle maybe that God has for you doesn't mean you're escaping the storm. It just means that you're going to go through it with Him. The miracle might be that through a storm, you might enhance your relationship with Jesus. Yes, the miracle was what most people think was quieting the storm, but maybe Jesus had another alternative miracle, and that is for the disciples to totally trust in him. 
And so today what I want to do is just share with you three things that helped me in my journey of storms. And I hope it speaks to you. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you're about to learn something. Turn back to him and say, it's about time. Three things that helped me that I know that can help you to walk through that storm. Three things. It's this. Believe, stand, and gather. The first one is believe, and we're going to unpack each one. Now, the word believe, you, you may be expecting a, a long, lengthy Hebrew, Greek, theological definition, but can I give you a very unconventional definition? You ready for it? Drop the of. Say, what? Yeah, drop the of. There are two statements, two categories that we all fall in, and they're going to be up on the screen. One says, I know of God. The other says, I know God. And for us to encounter, to us, for us to walk through a miracle, we've got to drop the of, I've, I know of God, to where it's, I know God. You see, it's those folks who say, I know of God, who say, teacher, help me. Those that know God say, God, I know you're in the storm with me and we're going to walk through. The folks who are in the camp of, I know of God, have a stiff arm. Now, a stiff arm is important in the sport of football. But it cannot be important to you when it comes to your spiritual life. We've got to drop the stiff arm and drop the of and get to know him. Amen? You see, what I think what happened with the disciples, they, they put up a little bit of a stiff arm because they didn't know what was available to them in that boat. All they saw was the storm. But let me tell you what is available to those of us that drop the of. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, I pray, this is Paul speaking, I pray that you begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. See, I, I really think what Paul was saying, listen, I want you to understand if you drop the of, you're going to see the miraculous power in your life. Amen? To drop the of is the starting point to our miracle. It's the launching pad. It's where it all begins, your faith in God, right? So, Rob, how do I drop the of and, and, and get some understanding? Well, let me tell you. In Genesis, he's the creator. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, water in the desert. Deuteronomy, he's the faithful God. Joshua, commander of the mighty army. Judges, he delivers us from the injustice. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is the prophet, priest, and king. First and Second King, he's a ruler greater than Solomon. In First and Second Chronicles, the Lord is with you. His love endures forever. In Ezra, he proclaims freedom over us. In Nehemiah, he is the restorer of what is broken. In Esther, he is the protector of his people. In Job, he, our Redeemer lives. In Psalm, his daily bread is, is, is our burden lifter. In Proverbs, he will make your path straight. In Ecclesiastes, he is our meaning of life. In Song of Songs, his banner is over me as love. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he is our future. In Lamentation, the presence of the Lord is upon us. And Ezekiel puts a new spirit in you. In Daniel, he is a way maker in the fire. Amen. In Hosea, he is faithful. In Joel, promises his spirit. In Amos, helps the oppressed. Obadiah, he is our judge. Jonah, he answers me. And Micah, doesn't hold a grudge. Nahum, he is a refuge in times of trouble. Whoa, Habakkuk, he is my strength. And Zephaniah, he takes your great and delight in you. And Haggai, he is your restore. And Zechariah, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit. Malachi, you will rise with healing in its wings. That's just the Old Testament. 
In Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, the servant. In Luke, the deliverer. In John, the bread of life. In Acts, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In Romans, there is no condemnation. First and second Corinthians, we have the mind of Christ. In Galatians, we are set free. In Ephesians, we are God's workmanship. In Philippians, my God will meet all your needs. In Colossians, he is before all things. In first and second Thessalonians, he is the comforter in the last days. In first and second Timothy, he is the savior to the worst of sinners. In Titus, he is our hope. In Philemon, he is our mediator. In Hebrews, he is our priest. In James, he will lift you up. First and second Peter, he has given us new birth. First, second, and third John, he forgives us. In Jude, he is a merciful, merciful God. In Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am root and offspring of David in the bright and morning star. Behold, I am coming soon. That's who we need to get to know. Amen? When we transition from I know of God to I know God and all of his attributes, it's then that we experience that power that Paul was talking about. It's then that we hear peace, be still in our storm. Can I let you know what happens when we drop the of? In Mark 16, it says this, And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And they, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. I want to draw your attention to that word believe. Mark used that specific word because it literally means to keep believing and not give up. It's a constant, aggressive type of attitude that we have to have. We can't walk the aisle one time and believe one time and think that's it. Amen? We have to continue to believe and be aggressive. And I know y'all are aggressive. I've seen y'all drive on Ambassador Caffrey. <laughs> Listen, when you're in a storm and you pray for someone, it's believing that they will get healed. It's believing that they will recover. If you're praying over yourself, you're believing that you will expect a miracle. And if it doesn't happen, you keep on believing. And it's not a one-shot deal. Look what it says in Galatians 3, in verse 5. Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law, you do everything right, you go to church, you make a decision, or because you believe what you've heard? That list that I just gave you going through the Bible, I could have saved my breath and time, but I felt, no, I felt like the Lord said they need to hear every book of the Bible has a specific theme and a specific nugget that people can latch on to, amen? Belief is the spark that, it, that, that ignites the impossible and it causes it to become possible in your life. And look, dropping the of, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. You can actually do it today, right after this service. We're having next steps. You say, well, do I have to sign up? No. Do we feed you? Yes. It's not hospital food. All you do is you go out these doors, go outside, go down that hall, uh, walkway, and you take a left, and it says next steps. You get to know God a little bit. We have resources here. We can teach you how to read the Bible. We can teach you uh, maybe how to develop a prayer life. In fact, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., you get to know God a little better by coming in with some other people believing for miracles. Amen? 6 a.m. and noon and 6.30, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So the first step in your miracle is to drop the of and get to know him a little closer. Number two, stand. Stand on God's word. Let me give you another unconventional definition of stand. You ready for it? Show your tongue. No, no, no don't do it right now. That's too gross. No, show your tongue. 2 Samuel 23, verse 2 says this, The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. 
Listen, you can tweet what I'm about to tell you. The storm is not your destination. God's word on your tongue is. A huge key to walking out of your storm into a miracle is to stand and put on your tongue the word of God. We have to internalize it and personalize it. Let me give you a great example of what happened to me during my first hospital visit. On day one or two, I can't remember, Michelle had messaged a, a pastor in Texas letting him know, and, and he sent back a scripture I've never seen before, and it's going to be on your screen, Psalm 41.3. It says this, The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. And when that came to me, it started speaking to me. In fact, it was so awesome, I screenshotted it, and it is now my, uh, what do you call it, your... Um, your wallpaper, screensaver, or whatever it is on my phone, so that I see it every day. And to personalize it, what I did is, is where it says, the Lord will sustain him, I put my name, and I said, me, Rob. The Lord will sustain me on my sickbed and restore me from my bed of illness. And I'm telling you, through the entire duration, while I'm on a gurney, while they're putting IVs at 4 o'clock in the morning, Psalm 41.3, Psalm 41.3. And I just kept personalizing it and getting it inside of me. And it started to minister to me. You've got to confess it. You've got to be aggressive with it. And this is what I know. Some people will say, Rob, why Scripture? The Bible doesn't leave you in despair. It's a way out of the despair. That's why we have to quote scripture, amen? It's latching on, it's marinating on it, and, and you letting that one scripture or a passage of scriptures start ministering to you. Because I'm telling you, when you're in the storm, you need some help. You have to read it as if it's ministering to you. But some will say, Rob, is the Bible really relevant? You know, that story of Hebrews and the people, I mean, the, the book of, uh, about the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. Is that really relevant to my issue and my storm? Oh, the, the, you know, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, does it really have relevance to my storm of debt or whatever your storm is? And my answer is absolutely yes. You see, the Bible was never written to show us what God did in the past, but it was written to help us in a present day, every generation, every, every day, today, tomorrow, the day after that, amen? It wasn't just written for everyone 2,000 years ago. Showing your tongue and confessing allows Scripture to be, bring you comfort. Now, let me share with you two things that I think you need to do to allow Scripture to show on your tongue and bring comfort. Number one, stop speaking negative things over yourself. Do you know that when you're speaking negative about yourself, I'm always in debt, I'm, I'm always sick, my marriage isn't going to last, you're speaking brokenness over yourself. Tweet that. Instead, it needs to be replaced. I'm walking in healing. I'm believing for healing. I'm doing it aggressive, just like I drive on Ambassador Caffrey. I'm believing and I'm standing on the word of God this day and I'm going to do it tomorrow and the day after that. But we first have to stop speaking negative about ourselves. Amen? The second thing we've got to do is Go find scripture. How do you do that? Well, on your tablet or whatever device you have or even in your Bible, put a search, healing scriptures, marriage scriptures, financial scriptures, and up will pop a lot of scriptures. And just go grab one or two or three that ministers to you and hang on to them and show off your tongue. Let them roll off your tongue. Amen. Charles Spurgeon said, nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. You know, the storm that Michelle and I found ourselves in 
I can't tell you how many times we quoted Scripture, we quoted Scripture, we quoted Scripture. And it brought comfort. Just when the wave would come in, we would go to a Scripture and it would pick me up. The very words of Jesus offer hope. And you know what they do? They confront life, life's issues head on. And they're such a, a source of comfort to us. And through his word, you can see things. You can learn things about Jesus and what he went through. And most importantly, how far he went for you. And one of my favorite, favorite scriptures in all the Bible is Matthew 27, 34. It tells us how far he went for us. While he was on the cross, this happened. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. Let me stop right there. You know what gall was? It was a narcotic given to people back then to take the edge off the pain. I guess our modern-day morphine or something like that, or Loratab, to take the edge off. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. That's how far he was willing to go for your pain and your storm. Amen? Jesus says, I'm just going to take all your pain. So he understands what you have been through, what you're going through, or what you might go through. Not only do we have to believe and stand, but we also must gather. You're waiting for that unconventional definition, aren't you? Well, here it is. You ready? Go to the roof. Rob, you're crazy, boy. Go to the roof. In Mark chapter 2, we see what I'm talking about. It's a story of a man who was crippled and he, need a heal he needed a healing. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left. So Jesus is back home. He's teaching in someone's home. And there's no room for people to really, because it's crowded. Not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by how many people? Four of them. So he had four friends. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. You see, the man could not carry his own mat. He needed some help. And I think it went something like this. Hey, Joe, have you heard from Mike lately? No, it's been about a month or two. You think something's wrong? I don't know. Yeah, Marty said the other day that he tried calling him and he did talk to him, but Mike was in a bad mood. He wasn't feeling well. They were supposed to go duck hunting. He canceled on him. And so, man, for the last couple of months, I haven't seen him. Hadn't been to church. Joe, you think we need to do something? Yeah, I think we should. What do you think? Well, you know, Jesus is in town. What if we go pick him up? Great idea. They pick him up. They bring him to the house where Jesus was. They get there. Oh, man, Joe, look at the people. We can't, I can't even see Jesus in there. What are we going to do? Got a roof up there. You thinking what I'm thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking what you're thinking. I know they got a back stairs up there somewhere. Hey, Mike, hang on, buddy. They go up to the top of the roof and they lower him to Jesus. And look what it says in verse 5. When Jesus saw their, come on now, somebody, their faith, their faith, those four men, amen, These were four men who went to the roof 
for this guy. And let me tell you, for me, I thank you so much for the corporate prayer that you, and I know the pastors were had publicly announced, you know, all the storms I was going through. Thank you so much for that. But I needed an inner core of a few people on my team of gatherers. You, you get where I'm going? There was no way I could have made it through these miracles without, because it was their faith that I received the miracle. I firmly believe that. We call just a, a few people and say, intercede, intercede, intercede. Intercede for uh, uh, pulse rate is too high. Intercede, kidneys are shutting down. Intercede for this, intercede for that. It was constant interceding. It was constant, constant, aggressive on their behalf. And it was because of their faith that I'm able to be here today and tell my story to give God the glory. Amen. I had one man in particular who texted me almost every day. And guess when they came? Guess when I received them? When there was a wave. In fact, one morning he, he would, he texted me, I don't know, five or six in the morning. And I, for some reason, I didn't respond to him. I, I, it wasn't that I was choosing to not to respond. I just didn't. At about four or five, hey, checking on you. How you doing? He was one of those who took me up to the roof. Amen. And I so appreciate those people who did that for me. I truly believe that I received a miracle of my bladder because of their faith. I truly believe that I received a miracle of no cancer because of their faith. See, it's part of it. We got to believe, we have to stand, and we have to gather. The Apostle Paul experienced it too. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 19, it says, Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over. They stoned, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. You get that? But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. That's a miracle right there, amen? The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. The disciples took him to the roof. One day, he stoned and dragged. The next day, he's headed back out to do ministry, amen? Let me tell you, you have to reach out to some inner core people. You have to reach out to some people who are going to stand with you and believe and consistently believe with you. One man said this, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. You see what happens is too many times, too, too many Christians uh, are, are, they're in that selfie Christianity. I don't need anybody in my life. Stiff arm, stiff arm, I'm good. I don't need anybody. Wrong. You do need somebody. You need somebody that's going to take you to the roof and text you and call you and maybe take you to lunch or whatever and just pray for you and be on your side. In Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. See, you need a team of gatherers. Rob, I just started coming here. I don't know that many people. Well, guess what? Next September or next month in September, we're going to have a life group sign up for about three or four weekends. It's not on me to sign you up to get a team of gatherers. It's on you. The challenge is for you. It's going to be right there in the foyer. It's going to be a big, a big wall, wooden wall with different life groups that you can get involved in. You have to start somewhere. Take down the stiff arm and say, I'm going to sign up. Well, I'm, 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 I'm a, a person that, uh, I don't like people. 
Well, what can I say about that? Just take the step of faith. And no matter who I sign up with, they're going to become a team of gatherers. Do you know that one of the men, the man who texted me almost every day, you know how long I've known him? 25 years. Michelle taught two of their children when we had the school. That's how far that goes back. You got to start somewhere. Amen. While your relationship with God is personal, God never intends it to be private. Because you see, a private spiritual journey is a life as an orphan. Ecclesiastes and Ford says, two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. You see, you need somebody to take you to the roof. Tomorrow morning, prayer and fasting. You want some people to take you to the roof? Be here. Tomorrow at noon, tomorrow night at 6.30. Side note, if you're ever called or asked to be part of the team to take somebody to the roof, don't take it lightly. If somebody says, hey, would you pray for me and intercede? I need a miracle. I'm in a storm. I'm your guy that's going to take you to the roof. In fact, I would tell them that. You know, the most incredible thing about a miracle is that they happen. So do you need a miracle in your storm? Whether it's small, medium, or large. Well, we have to drop the of. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need a miracle of salvation. So right now, just close your eyes. Maybe you need Jesus to come into your life because really that's where it begins. You've got to believe in the one who can take you through the storm. Guess what? Facebook can't do that for you. If you say, Rob, I'm, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I think I'm in that category of I know of him. Because my mama told me to go to church, I would really like to be in the category of I know him. And so if that's you, just slip up your hand. I just want to pray with you and just believe and just believe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And just do me this favor. Say, everybody, say, Lord Jesus, today is a day of my salvation. I accept you into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I receive you this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Those of you that raised your hands, there's a little card in the pew. It says, I made a decision. Just check, uh, check it out. Bring it to our info center. But that's really where it begins, doesn't it? Now, those of you that are in a storm, if you would, I just need the whole congregation to stand up with me at this point. If you say, Rob, brother, I'm in a storm. Let me see your hand. If you say, Rob, I'm in a storm. Whoa. OMG. I'm in a storm. Well, let me, let me just tell you this side note. When Jesus was ministering to the people, it says a lot in Scripture, in the Gospels, it says that crowds came to Him. Crowds came to Him. And it also says in Scripture a lot that they were all healed. So, we've got a crowd, and Jesus is here. If you're in a storm, I want you to come down really quickly right now because we're going to pray for you. Come down, come down, come down. Come down to the altar in the name of Jesus. We're believing for healings. We're believing for restorations. We're believing in the power of God to be manifested in your life. Come on down. 
If you're in a storm, don't let the enemy block you. Today, we're, we're declaring that we're going to drop the of. We're going to stand on scripture. We're going to show our tongue. And we're going to go to the roof. There, there, there's, there's, there's a way, a lot of people that, that, need, that need a touch from God. So those of you that are down here right now, I just want you to, they're, they're still coming. Come on down, make room, make room. It's not that this altar is a special place, but what it is, it's a place of healing. It's a place of restoration. It's a place where your miracle can be touched and felt and experienced because of what you just did by taking a step of faith, amen? And so what I want you to do is just raise your hands, all, all of you that are in this place right now, down at the altar. I just want you to get in your spirit. Listen, what God did for me, he will do for you. What he'll do for one other person, he'll do for you. I just want to encourage you. God gave me a specific message today for you that you have got to aggressively seek and know him and drop the of, but also take scripture, let it become part of you as well as gather some people around you. Now look at me, look at me right now. I'm, I'm gonna look at all of you. Would you take the challenge and get some people around you? Not right now, okay? But I'm saying you need some people in your life that will walk with you, amen? Somebody that you can tell all your business to that is not gonna broadcast it, okay? So the challenge is, is that you have to get some inner core people to say, take me to the roof. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that you're ministering to the people of God. Lord, you're touching. You're touching everyone that is down here at this altar. Lord, we're believing for the miraculous. We're believing, Lord, that although the waves may be coming in, the waves may be coming in and overtaking our boat. Lord, we are declaring that you are our God and that we are believing for the miraculous signs of God. That, Lord, when we... When we pray, we shall be healed. When we pray for others, they shall be healed. Lord, thanking you, Lord, that you're taking me out of debt. You're taking me out of physical issues. You're taking me out of uh, an arena of divorce. You're taking me out of an arena of grief. Lord, that today I'm receiving my miracle and I'm believing in the power of God to infiltrate my life this day. And everybody said, Amen and amen. Give God some glory.